Town Bank Mortgage, NMLS number 512138, is an equal housing lender. This podcast is for informational purposes only. And now, the man born with a 5 o'clock shadow and with the NMLS number 2028201. He is a gentleman. He is a scholar. He is... Tyler Crawley. So I'm thinking this is the first time I have done a show on Friday since I left the, the radio show. I think, because I don't think I ever did. I mean, I might have recorded a Thursday podcast and released it on Friday, but I think this is the first time I have recorded a show on a Friday since 2020. So it's been a little bit. Welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am the aforementioned host of this pod, Tyler Crawley, and we finally got there. We finally got to the inflation data. It was inflation week and we had to wait until Thursday. We got the data and it is not bad. It is not bad. There is actually really only one thing that we have to worry about. And it's a big one. It's a big one, especially for somebody in the mortgage business like I am. If you're in real estate uh, or really anything, um, it's housing. It's housing. That was the takeaway from the CPI report, which was, if you remove housing, we're back to the target rate. Now, the problem is housing is a big part of CPI. 40% of core CPI is shelter costs. So it's not like a small category that we're, I mean, what did we talk the other day about how much equity there is out there in homes. It's like 13, 14 trillion dollars. We're a 30, what, two trillion dollar economy. And we have <laughs> like 15 trillion dollars uh, in residential housing. And rem- a reminder, a reminder, that was um, the amount of equity that exists out there. So then you have, of course, just overall housing in general. There's a lot of money in housing. It's why it's such a big part of CPI and it's good and it is bad because like I said, the argument, which I believe was quite compelling is that housing is keeping inflation higher than it would be. And so now we got to figure out, okay, how do we get housing inflation down? (laughs) That's, that is the trillion dollar question, I guess is uh, how we should phrase it. Uh, and then this morning at eight 30, we got PPI actually, let's jump into that real quick here. So this is producer prices, uh, producer prices have fallen. I I mean, we've seen a, a bigger, a bigger drop in producer prices than what we saw in consumer prices. I think consumer prices peaked at like 9.1 Producer prices got over double digits. I think they were around 11%. And then last month, they fell to 0.3% year over year. And that was for June. Now we're looking at July's data. And it was a little hotter than expected, but still well under the target rate. So month over month, the producer price index for final demand increased by 0.3%, that was up from 0% in June. 
uh, and was slightly higher than the 0.2% they were projecting. So a little hotter than expected, which of course meant the year-over-year data was a little hotter as well. On an unadjusted basis, the index for final demand advanced 0.8% for the 12 months ending in July. That is up from the 0.3% that we saw in June, but it was still the second lowest number we have seen in the last 12 months. I mean, it was a pretty big drop. It went from like 1.1% to 0.3% from May to June. So the fact that we're seeing it rise to 0.8%, still well below 2% target rate. So producer prices, we're seeing a lot of good data from, even with the hotter than expected report. So that is out this morning. That is, you know, I mean, the bond markets aren't loving it. (laughs) They're not. Uh, Bonds up seven basis points, uh, the yield, uh, the 10-year now at 4.15%. Oh, I was so happy yesterday. The CPI report came out and it was it fell under 4. The yield on a 10-year treasury fell under 4% and I said, "Yes. That's what you like to see." And then by the end of the day, it was gone. <laughs> it was up like 10. I think it was up like 10, 11, 12 basis points from when I saw that. I was so I do that I'll tell you, I should admit to it, but I do. A lot of times when a report comes out like CPI and you're like, oh man, this is better than we expected. And I go look at bonds and immediate reaction. I go, oh, that's great. That's that's great news. And I assume it's just going to continue that direction. And I don't look at the bond market and then I'm surprised by what is happening. So, I mean, that's just, that's crazy that the 10 year is back up to 4.15%. So clearly they're not liking producer prices they are not liking them at all mixed in with the cpi report but here's the thing the cpi report was not that bad except for once again that one thing that one thing being housing so let's break it down here so the heavily anticipated cpi report comes out and it was actually slightly better than was expected so month over month consumer prices rose 0.2 percent that was in line with what we saw in june and is exactly what economists had projected. Consumer prices did rise year over year to 3.2%, up from 3% in June, but it was lower than what economists were expecting. They thought 3.3%, but it was the first increase in 13 months. The first time we saw that number increase. So we actually saw price growth increase for the first time in 13 months. But everyone knew it was going to increase. We knew that. So going into it, that was priced in. Um, but I think it was once again, that, that housing problem, uh, core CPI continues to remain sticky, but we did see a slight dip down to 4.7% down from 4.8% in June. And it's now the lowest level since October, 2021 prices rose month over month by 0.2%, which matches what we saw in June and is the lowest increase that we've seen the last two years. So the last two months, core CPI, we've seen the lowest monthly increase of the last two years. So of course, the big question, what is keeping inflation elevated? Now, it's not food. I mean, food's elevated, but it's not what's keeping inflation high because food price growth actually fell month over month, or I should say year over year. That number fell to 4.9%. 
That's the first time it has dipped under 5% since September 2021 and is the 11th straight month that we have seen a decline in that year-over-year number. So it's not food. It's not food. So energy, it's not energy. Definitely not energy. Uh, Energy prices did tick up in July, but they are still well into negative territory for the fifth straight month. Year-over-year price growth rose to negative 12.5%. That is up from the negative 16.7% in June, and that was because we saw a 0.1% increase overall in prices. Uh, Causing that, gas prices continue to put massive downward pressure on energy prices with gas down 20% year-over-year, while electricity is positive, up 3% year-over-year in July. Now, if you've noticed that the pump gas prices are rising, so more than likely we are going to see some upward pressure with electricity. So keep that in mind. But in this report, still down 20% year-over-year. So that is not what is a problem for inflation. So what is the problem? Well, we've talked about it. Housing. Already mentioned it this morning. Food and energy were the two biggest drivers leading up, you know, causing inflation these last two years. That is no longer the case. They are not the ones putting upward pressure on prices. Unfortunately, it seems that culprit is housing. While shelter price growth has fallen, the last four months, the number still remains close to all-time high. Usually that number is like 2%. Right now, 7.7. So we're down from the 7.8% that we saw the month before and the lowest level since December. But once again, we're talking about, I mean, it falls like 0.1% every month. It does not move fast. Just like it didn't increase that fast, it is not going to fall very fast. So there's a big debate about the lag effect Uh, and is this really what we're seeing right now in the current economy, or is that lag creating kind of problems with this data? But there is no doubt that housing is a big problem with regards to that inflation number. Because while housing has fallen to a seven-month low, (laughs) looks can be deceiving. The CPI report itself even mentioned, quote, the shelter index was the largest factor in the monthly increase in the index for all items less food and energy and that point was not missed on a lot of the economists that i follow on twitter and read elsewhere uh jay parsons chief economist for real page tweeted quote inflation is basically gone when you exclude the lagged shelter i.e rent data in cpi Remember, rent is the biggest variable in the CPI's biggest category, shelter, and there's a known 12-month lag between asking rents and CPI rents. Now, what's important about this is while this, so what he's saying is true about the whole lag effect, but the lag effect also means that when we saw inflation skyrocketing a year ago, it wasn't truly, it was actually higher than what it was. So you get sort of a benefit where it takes longer for it to show up in the data, But then the negative is it takes longer for it to fall out of the data. So that CPI number probably should have been in double digits if we didn't have that lag effect. Because as we all know, I know, I'm a renter, uh, rents skyrocketed (laughs) along with home prices. And it took a little while 
for it to show up in the data. So that's from Jay Parsons. Uh, Andres Steno Larson of Steno Research tweeted, U.S. inflation is already non-existent if we set aside shelter costs. And they have some cool charts. If you get my morning email, you would see these charts. And it basically shows if you're looking at core CPI, which is one of the most important things that, of course, the Fed looks at because food and energy are so volatile. And if you look at food and energy, sure, you got food prices up 5%, energy's way down. That's probably not a factor. So what Powell and the Fed is looking at is core, core prices. And they remain sticky and they remain high. But if you remove rent, you basically have inflation back down to 2%. So we know that housing is the problem. And like I said, there's two great charts. They both have one. One's from RealPage, one from Stenos Research. Great charts highlighting that very fact. In fact, Connor Sen even had a chart which looked at wages in comparison to um, core CPI minus shelter. And if you, if you look at that metric, wages are the highest they have been outside of the two recessions, which makes sense, right? Because we have an, when you have a recession, the Fed, as always, the government pumps stimulus into the economy. So everyone has more money because there's, you know, there's more money out there. You're getting checks from the government, whatever it may be. And so without any stimulus, we have seen wages jump. The problem is, what's the biggest cost for most people is, is rent, mortgage, whatever it may be, shelter costs. And so while that looks great, like, oh my gosh, wages, what is it compared to housing? Not so great. That is the problem. So how do we solve this housing problem? Well, we go back to what we talked about on Wednesday's show. Interestingly enough, Thomas Philipson in the Wall Street Journal made an argument I mean, he basically predicted this. This is what he wrote back at the beginning of August. I mean, I know we're still technically at the beginning of August, but this is August the 3rd. Housing costs make up about 40% of core consumer price inflation, but housing costs are difficult to measure. Inflation indexes aim to measure the compensation, or excuse me, compensation, consumption, <laughs> cost of housing captured by rents and for homeowners, imputed rents. Now, Philipson argues that the rate hikes since March of 2022, may be raising rather than lowering measured housing costs because of the bizarre impact that it is having on supply. Saying, quote, housing prices are trending upward this year, partially because rate hikes suppress the supply of housing as well as demand. As a result, rate hikes may be inflationary rather than deflationary for 40% of core CPI. And if that is the only thing that is keeping inflation high, we got a problem. Because remember, housing is different than all other types of consumption. You know, most things, most things are disposable for the, point, for the most part, right? Like food, energy, <laughs> uh, most of the things in core CPI. I mean, sure, you can make things last, cars, TVs, um, clothes, I mean, you can make things last longer, but eventually you're gonna have to buy something. And usually you're gonna have to buy it regardless of what's happening with the markets. I mean, like I said, you might try and make the TV last a little longer, clothes last a little longer, wait for a sale. But if your TV's not working, you need a TV, you're gonna buy a TV. With housing, it's very different. 
housing is determined by what you're paying now versus what you are going to pay. So if you're living in a home, 3% mortgage, you bought before the pandemic, you have, you not only bought at a lower price, you got a really great mortgage, you refi into a great mortgage, you have no incentive to buy a new house and you don't have to. You won't buy until it makes sense to buy. And there is no disposable house. <laughs> I mean, sure, there might be old houses out there, but you are greatly incentivized to fix that old house up and make sure that you can stay in it. And so what the problem is, is that the way that we consume housing is far different than the way we consume every other product. In which case, it is true, it is very true, that the high cost of you know borrowing money, which is what raising interest rates will do will stop people from consuming other goods it will also stop people from consuming housing they won't go buy a new house the problem is that right now what it seems to be doing is it's creating fewer homes than demand so demand has fallen but it's fallen as low as it can fall supply just keeps the tick downward and i don't think they anticipated that and once again, this is just, you know, this is how the economy works. This is why central planning tends not to work. I'm not saying that the, the Fed is bad. I'm not one of those people who's like, get rid of the Fed. Um, I mean, we could have that conversation. <laughs> Maybe you can convince me. But this is why central planning is difficult because there are factors in it that we, people never take into account. And this is one of them. You never would have thought that we would see a situation where demand of mortgages you know, people wanting to get a mortgage falling to a 30 year low would actually still be higher than what happened with supply, which has fallen to, I don't even know, an all time low possibly. So yeah, they suppressed demand, but what they didn't realize is that you were also going to suppress supply. Like it doesn't usually happen like with the television market. Sure. I mean, if you're Phillips or Sony or whoever, and you know, you're making TVs and you see that demand is falling, you are going to maybe slow your roll a little bit with, with, the assembly line and maybe not build as many TVs. But when you go to Walmart, you're going to be able to buy one or Best Buy or Target or wherever you're going to buy a TV. People buy them on Amazon. Do people ship TVs? I don't know. I haven't bought a TV in a while. I'm holding out. <laughs> Mine's working fine behind me. Look, it's working great. So they're still going to make TVs. It's not like they're just going to stop making TVs. And essentially what's kind of happened with housing, we haven't stopped making houses. But the key category, existing home sales, all-time lows. So it's kind of like we have. <laughs> and so I don't know. I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if Philipson's right that if the Fed maybe starts lowering rates, people will be encouraged. You know, we've heard the five handle is probably the magic number. If we can get rates back into the 5%, people with 3% mortgage will say, hey, you know what? A 2% increase isn't so bad. They're seven, eight, no, it's not happening. But five, eh, I need this bigger house. I got a bigger family. I need to do it. I can't wait any longer it's now finally at a place where maybe it makes sense. Maybe that happens. Maybe that happens. But I don't know. The problem is, is that so let's say we lower rates. We still have almost full employment. I mean, we have full employment, right? Is there any question about that? We, and we have twice as many jobs than our people not working. So we still have a very hot labor market. If, and we have wages that are, for the first time, are now outpacing inflation. So what happens if we lower rates? We drop them to 5%. So let's say we do start seeing some positive movement in the shelter costs. Are we going to then spur the other inputs into inflation data? 
Do we then start seeing food prices start to rise? Other aspects of core CPI. This is why central planning is so difficult. <laughs> it's so hard. Is it, we don't know. We don't, will, will it work? It might work for housing. But remember, housing's 40% of CPI. 60% of CPI is not housing. What if all those products, those inputs start increasing? It's not good. Now we get, now we just get regular meat and potato inflation. It's not just one thing that is causing it. So that's, that is the problem that the Fed has right now. So we got two reports this week on inflation. Not so bad. PPI a little hotter than expected, but that doesn't really matter because, you know, that's still well below the target rate of 2%, but CPI, ugh, rising a little bit, not as much as expected. That's good, but still above 3%, and housing seems to be having a huge impact on that, which makes sense. We just talked about that earlier this week. Home prices, all back to all-time highs. So I don't know how they fix this. I don't know. So now we know that raising rates is making housing prices more expensive. The Fed has a decision to make. Lower rates, maybe drop home prices? Maybe? What if, what if you have, we know that there's pent up demand in housing. So what if demand skyrockets? That's going to put more upward pressure on prices. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I don't know how you fix the housing situation without just building a ton of houses and getting more supply out there. So good luck, Fed. <laughs> Ooh, man, Powell's doing so well there. And now he's got quite the conundrum. Um, also, if you do get my morning newsletter, I highly recommend you read that piece over at The Atlantic uh, about Montana and how they dealt with the housing crisis. Governor Greg Gianfort, is it, no, Gianfort yeah, said that the answer was obvious to him. You know, he had this influx of people moving into Cali- from California into Montana. You had, you know, pandemic supply issues with housing. And I love that Governor Gianfort was like, yeah, we have a supply crisis. We need more supply. He set up a task force. They figured out how to get Montana more housing, make it possible for folks to build housing units by right, rather than having every development go through a miserable, expensive process of negotiation, encourage dense development in already dense areas, and cut red tape. The Montana miracle, which is basically just letting the market operate the way markets do. So that's a pretty cool piece. Highly recommend you read that. Um, and then there's an interesting piece over at Bloomberg about Airbnb and how now all of a sudden Airbnb owners actually have to like work. <laughs> it's like, it's no longer just like easy to have it. You have to actually be, yeah, it's not like passive income. You actually have to maintain the house and provide something of value to the consumer. It's no longer people will pay whatever for whatever. They're actually got to work at it. So, oh. Poor Airbnb owners. <laughs> All right. We got to go. You guys enjoy your Friday. I like doing the Friday show. Kind of relaxed. Kind of like it. We will talk to you again Monday morning for another edition of Markets and Mortgages. And remember, as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait. Wait.